I'm Shannon. I'm Emma. And welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. Guys, I chugged a Hawaiian punch right before this. So, get ready. I'm exhausted and Emma is a toddler. So, (laughs) this should be a fun time. Also, by the way, in case you weren't aware, in case you're new here, welcome to the neighborhood. Yo, yo. Uh, We're best friends and this podcast is about mysteries. I think we've decided that's the broadest category. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mysteries. You got cryptids, disappearances, historical mysteries, etc. Yes. Shannon's side is national treasure. My side is ooky ooky spooky spooky. Terrifying. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not excited for what's coming. You did this to yourself no, again. No, not this. I'm saying oh. the month of October. Because <gasps> I feel like you've taken that as permission. You do have a, a badge if you I do. understand what I'm talking about. That means you follow us on Instagram, which everybody should. Very special Instagram news. Coming very soon. Not this episode. So, teaser. Woohoo. But follow us at This Podcast Doesn't Exist. We got Meme Monday, usually courtesy of our friend Haley. But feel free to submit memes. You don't have to make them, they could just be related. You can submit them. And then every Friday when this episode airs, or every episode, uh, you'll see the photos because we can't put photos in your brain. Not yet, anyway, through Ooh, your ears. Can't so you wait. have to go onto Instagram to see those. Uh, what else, Emma? They should come and say hello to us on our Gmail at this podcast doesn't exist at gmail.com. Come tell us your stories. They can be spooky ooky. You can give me some haunted stories. You can tell us your uh, favorite historical mystery or something about your family that's weird. I love Morbid hearing. middle school obsessions. Uh, I love a good morbid middle school obsession. Honestly, Anastasia was mine. I was gonna say, I was like, we've covered my main too. Yeah, we still haven't we still haven't gotten there yet, but that's okay. It's on the it's on the dock. She is. She is on the dock. But if you have any of those or if you have anything else you'd like to tell us, just go ahead and throw an email our way. We're also on Twitter, we're also on Facebook, we're also on YouTube soon. We have not yet been able to post our Episodes up there yet? Um, having cite- citations? Technical difficulties? I mean, yes, I'm having technical difficulties. Oh, in captions. Captions, thank there you. There we go. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. But yes, we're also on TikTok. Oh, yeah. <laughs> are we consistent? No. no. But are we fun? Yes. Yeah. Can I can I tell you a funny TikTok-related anecdote? So I had on my afternoon break at work, mm. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something productive with this 15 minutes. Let me sticker and caption one of these vo- videos that Emma sent me before she went away for two weeks, which if you'll remember was oh, several months ago. <laughs> um, look, we're just all doing our best. We hope you're doing your best too. And we're proud of you. But so I did that. And then as I always do, when I post one of our videos onto our this podcast doesn't exist account. I go onto my account, like the video, watch it all the way to the end. And then I send it to every friend I have on TikTok. (laughs) I sent it to my cousin, Marlene, who most of our TikToks that we exchange are about, uh, like (laughs) toxic family dynamics, (laughs) cute (laughs) politics or the Royal family. Uh, we love dunking on William. 
it's a fun time. Amen. As we should. But I sent her that and she's like, grandma emoji, grandma emoji. I'm too old. I don't understand any of this. And I was like, don't worry. You're not supposed to understand it. Like our whole TikTok marketing strategy, strategy, blah, 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 is find a moment that we think is hilarious with no context, post it and hope people are intrigued enough to listen to our podcast. I think the only one that has had the actual topic within it was the Elvis one. And then we just talked about a dead body. Yeah. And how you know a lot of things about dead bodies. Yeah. Although I am learning more watching How to Get Away with Murder. You might know more than me right now. Although, whether or not that show is factual is probably also a I mean, I'm a lawyer, basically. <laughs> Just like you knew everything about the Tudors, because you watched the Tudors. <laughs> but the thing is, I, I only remember that I watched it. Do I remember what <laughs> I watched? No, not at all. Nope. Yeah. Anyway, anything else, Emma? Uh, no, just tune in next week for a uh, big announcement. Big news. That was really cute. I really like that. Thanks. I'm a cute ghost. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> to the script. Here we are. Woo. So my last episode, if you'll recall, mm. was kind of heavy. Spooky, it, it was scary. Not spooky, but just real life scary. Yeah, you, you real freaked me out. You also real freaked out most of our friends who all sent uh, both of us, like not even just you, like both of us received text messages, Marco Polo. Marco Polo, thank you, Christian. Yes, and Sarah, <laughs> you were present. Yes. <laughs> and a new listener. Hello, Hello. welcome. Yeah. There has been a huge trend, actually, I feel like, of of people, friends, this is the marketing campaign where you just force your loved ones to listen because Tom of Shelby and Tom Shelby's husband won't let her even listen to our podcast by herself anymore. I am obsessed. (laughs) What's up, Tom? We miss you. We love you. And like, like the same day that... She told us that, like, Christian sent the video or, like, a text to yeah. you about, like, how his his girlfriend is listening. So, go on a long road trip. Seriously, we've got plenty. Trap we've got a them, backlog, you trap, guys. Trap them in a vehicle. <laughs> you've got a backlog now. Okay. Well, it's the last episode. Pretty heavy. Also, yeah. pretty a pretty big research lift. Mm. Like... She was hefty, but she was good. This is true. That's what people say about me. (laughs) Hey. All right. But so for this this episode, I just wanted something a little more contained, but like still a little mysterious since it is the start of spooky season. Mm. Happy October when this airs. Very exciting. Very exciting. I kind of cut myself off at the knees with this joke, but (laughs) I was like, next up, we have to do some housekeeping which is a joke that'll make sense later. <laughs> but we already did the housekeeping. Okay, so Emma, strap into your life jacket. Or maybe a warm hat of some sort. I have no clue where I'm supposed She's to be right now. Confused <laughs> I have right no now, clue yeah. where I am. Well, Emma. I feel like I'm back on the Titanic. Well, no. But we are traveling back in time. 
Because time travel is always an option. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely. Uh, download our bingo card. If you're new oh, here, yeah. it's on our Instagram. Yeah, Link in bio. You'll figure it out. I think you might actually get a couple more than you may anticipate with this. But, okay. I did try to bury the lead as much as possible to try and trick you, Emma. So, so far, so, so good. So far, so good. Yeah. All right. So, we're traveling back in time. Okay. The year is 1900. Okay. Because, you know, I did something in the 2000s last yeah, time. Yeah, I it need back to go further little, back. Make it a little less, like, spooky in that regard. Sure. Real life. Yes. All right. So, the year's 1900. We're bobbing along in a boat. Here we are. We're all in a boat, listeners. Don't think too hard if you're going to get seasick. Be on the lookout for Kelpies because we're back in Scotland. Specifically, in the Outer Hebrides, amidst a series of small islands, sometimes referred to as the Seven Hunters. I can't tell. Sorry, I'm so confused. Okay, we're still confused. See, I can't tell. I keep looking at Emma's face trying to see if confusion has turned to, like, frantic excitement, but we're still confused. Great. It's the day after Christmas, and our boat, because we're on a boat. Oh, yeah, that's right. Here we are. We got a bob. Yep, we're rocking back and forth. Our boat is on its way to resupply... The Flannan Island Lighthouse. (gasps) What we find, however, is unexpected, unexplained, and some say unnatural. I'm so excited. I know what this is now. All right. Well, if you don't know what this is, strap in. Stay buckled into your life jacket because I'll get there, but... I, di- I am happy that I was, I feel like I'm just going to keep trying to extend my own personal record of how long I can bury the lead until you, <laughs> you I mean, so out. far you've done very well. I did badly last week, but it was because I only had one point of reference. That's true. That's true. Some background. So the Flannan Isles Lighthouse is a lighthouse near the highest point of Island Moor, overlooking the west coast of Scotland. Okay. The Flannans, as a series of islands, were much feared by sailors, and with good cause. Numerous ships had foundered on their jagged coastlines, which are often hidden by dense fog. Very Scottish. Yeah. In the aftermath of these shipwrecks, their contents and the bodies of victims have littered the shores. Ooh. Yeah. The group of islands is named for a 7th century Irish preacher and abbot, St. Flannan. He built a chapel on the island, and in death, he was said to regard Island Moor as his own. For centuries, shepherds used to bring over sheep to the island to graze, and there are some varying stories as, like, it was very good luck for the sheep, apparently. Like, if your sheep got together on this island, they would have twins. Like, oh, it was great. You could like double your, your yeah, herd. your flock. Flock, um, that's what they're called. So they would bring the sheep over to graze, but would never stay the night, fearful of the spirits believed to haunt the island. Ooh, so we've already established a spooky yuki. Yes. Oh. And, you know, I feel like the Celts 
mm. are are pretty superstitious. Yes. But this island island in particular got a lot of superstition around it and like kind of the juju of like it's an Irish thing apparently that if there are spirits or something you like walk around the church on your knees that's like a thing to a, I don't I, they didn't get into it that's not the biggest part of this story oh, okay <laughs> but it sounds painful people didn't well Catholicism no <laughs> <laughs> the look you just gave me Madame Feme has Madame. spoken Okay, some refer to the island as, quote, the other country. Ooh. Because it has, like, an aura around it. Um, And then a, quote, sinister, watchful presence was said to reside there. Ooh. And then we've got some facts and figures, courtesy of the mother source. Wikipedia. What is that from? That tune. Because when I was re-listening to, I want to say it's from, like, PBS Kids. Like some, it's from like Arthur or something. Da 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 da. It's gonna drive you nuts now. It's gonna drive me insane. So if you know, please DM us. Thank you so much. All right, here we go. The 23 meter slash 75 foot lighthouse was designed by David Allen Stevenson for the Northern Lighthouse Board. Construction between 1895 and 1899 was undertaken at a cost of 1,899 pounds. Very specific. That is very specific. You couldn't have just done one more pound? Nope. Uh, Inclusive of the building of the landing places, stairs, and railway tracks. Because they used like a hand crank railroad thing to get supplies up because it was very steep. All of the materials used had to be hauled up the 45 meter, 148 feet cliffs. Thank you. Directly from the supply boats. It was first lit, the lighthouse was first lit, on December 7th, 1899. Oh, the 99 and the 99. I guess. Maybe that's why they did it. (laughs) It seems like a stupid reason not to add a dollar on it, but... Okay, but literally, 1899, that's how many pounds, and it was the year. Conspiracy. Oh, I didn't even put that together. (laughs) How exciting. Our story begins, Emma. One year after the lighthouse was first lit. On December 7th, 1900, three men arrived on Island Moor to begin their two-week rotation as keepers of the lighthouse. Principal keeper, James Duckett, 43, Thomas Marshall, 40, and Donald William MacArthur, 28. MacArthur was an occasional keeper who was on duty in place of a regular member of staff, William Ross, who was away on sick leave. Aww. The superintendent of lighthouses, Robert Muirhead, came with them to do a routine check of the lighthouse and to speak to the men. He made certain that everything was in working order. He then spoke with James Duckett about some difficulties they were having with the heavy mist that commonly surrounded the island. Also goes back to people thinking... Like, it has an aura, it's superstition, very, like, Wonder Woman. Like, the mascara, you can't see it, it's hiding. Uh, The men then said goodbye to the superintendent, and he left. The lighthouse was regularly monitored from the mainland by telescope. This way, if there was ever an emergency, the men could signal for help. Unfortunately, there was the problem of the mist. Yeah, I was just about to ask that question. Reminds me, 
because I had to make this reference, of course. But it reminds me of the disputed final sighting of Mallory and Irving, <gasps> Irving on Mount Everest. Because there was some wind and some snow squalls and then the mist and then they were never seen again. So, mist. Causing problems. Making people go misting from <laughs> 19... <laughs> 1900 onward. <laughs> Snaps. Thank you. Have you ever seen the musical Brigadoon? <laughs> the lighthouse was seen on December 7th and December 12th, but poor weather prevented more frequent visual contact with the mainland. This feels like something that would have happened before. Well, no, never mind. This is only a year into the lighthouse being around. So that process might not be in place yet of like... We can't see you for, like, this amount of days, therefore we're gonna... As we will find out later, things happen, and then it ends up in the rules and regulations. Yeah. Like, if you've ever had a professor with a very specific rule in their syllabus, you know that there is a story behind that. And that's often the case, right? We yeah. don't fix things until they... Break. Sure. We don't prevent things from breaking until... Yeah, no. We just assume everything's going to be fine. It's like we just ignore all of human history. It's great. Yep. All right. Next up, Emma. You got trouble. Right here in River City. You beat me to it. (laughs) I saw your brain working, though. Okay. So the first sign of trouble arose on December 15th of 1900 when the SS Arctur... A steamer on a voyage from Philadelphia to Leith in Scotland noted in its log that the light in the lighthouse was not working despite the poor weather conditions. So I'm they, surprised they could see it. Well, they were expecting it to be there to guide them away from the rocks. Oh, I see. So especially in bad weather, they, they were like, assume. that's very weird that you're not doing your job. When the ship docked in Leith on December 18th, the sighting was passed on to the Northern Lighthouse Board. The guy's in charge. The relief vessel, the lighthouse tender Hesperus, was unable to sail as planned from the nearby island of Lewis on December 20th due to poor weather. It did not reach the island until noon on December 26th. Whoa, this is a very long period of time. Yes. It just, it feels like, it feels like almost, what, two weeks now? Yeah. Yeah. It feels, I don't know. Well, it's 1900. That's also. true. Like, everything takes, like. Everything takes a while. Like, I don't, I didn't write it down because I didn't, I wanted to focus on this specific case and not, like. Deviate. Yeah. But they got. A telegraph. Yeah, they got that kind of system in, like, the 1920s, I think. So it's not... They don't have any way to communicate. Yeah, it's literally... They it's have literally light. a lighthouse. <laughs> it's literally and just light. I guess they'd flash it or something if they were in trouble. But anyway, so the relief ship, the Hesperus, arrives on Boxing Day, December 26th, the day after Christmas. Upon arrival, the ship's captain, Jim Harvey sounded his horn and sent up a flare, hoping to alert the three lighthouse keepers, as things were not as they usually were. 
The Hesperus brought with them the relief lighthouse keeper, Joseph Moore, who was due to cycle in and on to duty per the normal schedule, despite the weather delay. So this was the relief ship. It was totally normal for them to like drop off the new guy, pick up the guy that's going home, bring some provisions, all that. This meant that the three men on the island should have been expecting them, but there were none of the usual signs. There were no empty provision crates by the dock where they'd be expecting them to be collected and refilled. There was no flag posted on the staff. And perhaps most ominously, none of the three keepers were present to greet the crew. As the man assigned to duty on the island, Moore was sent ashore to seek some answers. He climbed the 160 steep steps to the lighthouse itself, apparently watched by the beady eyes of three large black crows. He said he suffered an overwhelming sense of foreboding on his walk up to the top of the cliff. He was probably super out of breath by the end of it, too. Maybe. He might have been more fit than me. He was definitely more fit than me. Yeah. I feel like people, yeah, back in the day were a little bit more... Cool. Yeah. yeah. He found both the entrance gate to the compound and the main door to the lighthouse closed tight. What he found inside was eerie indeed. Reaching the lighthouse compound and entering the living quarters, Moore noticed that the clock on the kitchen wall had stopped. Ooh. The table was set for a meal that had never been eaten and a chair had been toppled over. The three men's beds were left unmade, as if they had just walked away in the morning and never returned. There was no fire in the grate, nor had there been one for a few days. A canary in a cage was the only sign of life. The Flannan Isles lighthouse was left utterly abandoned. I'm glad the canary was alive. Yeah, apparently it was half-starved. Poor baby. Yeah. After relaying the news to Captain Harvey, Moore then went back up to the lighthouse with the Hesperus's second mate and another sailor. A further search revealed that the lamps of the lighthouse had been cleaned and refilled, ready for operation, but never relit. A single set of oil skins was found, suggesting that one of the keepers, likely William MacArthur, had left the lighthouse without them, facing the elements in just his shirt sleeves. Oof, you don't do that in the Hebrides. In December. Oh. Moore and three volunteer sailors were left on the island to attend the light, and the Hesperus returned to Lewis. Captain Harvey sent a telegram to the Northern Lighthouse Board dated December 26, 1900, stating, quote, A dreadful accident has happened in the Flannans. The three keepers, Duckett, Marshall, and the Occasional, have disappeared from the island. The clocks were stopped and other signs indicated that the accident must have happened about a week ago. Poor fellows, they must have been blown over the cliffs or drowned trying to secure a crane. Night coming on. We could not wait to make something as to their fate. Moore and his comrades back on the island continued to search for clues. 
Things appeared as normal on the eastern side of the island, but the same could not be said for the western landing. A box at 33 meters, 108 feet, above sea level had been broken and its contents were strewn about. Iron railings were bent over. The iron railway by the path was wrenched out of its concrete and a rock weighing more than a ton had been displaced. On top of the cliff at more than 60 meters, 200 feet above sea level, turf had been ripped away as far as 10 meters, 33 feet, from the cliff edge. The Northern Lighthouse Board's Superintendent, Robert Muirhead, who had personally recruited the three missing men, arrived three days later to investigate and described Moore as being in, quote, a state of nervousness. Aww. I mean, think about it. You show up, your comrades are missing, and now you have to sleep in the building? Yeah, sleep in their beds. Yeah. Muirhead had last seen the keepers on December 7th when he traveled out for a routine check on his employees. Quote, I have the melancholy recollection that I was the last person to shake hands with them and bid them adieu, he wrote. Oh. Muirhead turned his attention to the lighthouse's logbook, immediately noticing that the last few days of entries were unusual. On December 12th, Thomas Marshall, the second assistant, wrote of, quote, severe winds the likes of which I have never seen before in 20 years. He also noticed that James Duckett, the principal keeper, had been, quote, very quiet and that the third assistant, William MacArthur, had been crying. What was strange is that there were no reported storms in the area of the island during that period. Oh. The weather was said to be calm and the storms only hit the island on December 17th. Also, why was William MacArthur an experienced mariner and lighthouse man, known on the mainland as a brawler, crying. I mean, men, you're allowed to feel your feelings. Everybody's allowed to feel their feelings. Absolutely you are. But it's a little unusual. Yeah, it's a little odd. Log entries on December 13th said that the island was still being ravaged by the storm and that all three men had been praying. Three experienced mariners in a basically brand new lighthouse. They should have been totally fine. Yeah, they should have been like, well, I guess I'm just not going to stand up yeah, outside. Yeah, I'm not going to go smoke outside. The last record left by the men was on the morning of December 15th, chalked on the slate where they drafted future entries for the official log. So there were some like, barometer readings or whatever but then and then when the slate was full they would transfer it into the official book mm-hmm. they took note of weather conditions and their daily activities which included trimming the lighthouse lamp filling its oil fountains and cleaning the giant lenses which i don't think she listens but shout out to cheryl warnock it's a fresnel lens which i learned about in intro to tech theater Cool. She just did finger guns at me, you guys. It means she's gay. Now we all know. I only did one, though. I, you really... Yeah. So, only halfway. <laughs> I'm only half gay. <laughs> only halfway. 
I'm realizing how many of our jokes only make sense if you've listened to all of our podcasts. If you don't get it, go back. Sorry, guys. Catch up. Um, Be our friend for real. Like, whoa. Aggressive. I we don't want to be desperate. But all, all of my love is aggressive, right? Yeah. Do you disagree? <laughs> I like how you for a second were like, "What? No!" And then, as I asked, "Do you agree?" You went, "Well, yeah, actually, I do." <laughs> I am your chaos demon. I don't disagree. <laughs> um, okay. Da da da. We're back to the slate. Nothing amiss was mentioned, but the fact that the lighthouse had not been operational that evening strongly implied that this was the day they disappeared. Because remember, the night That's of the right. 15th is when that other ship crossed Passed. through and was like, where are you at, bro? Screaming into the ether. Where are you at? Where are you at? <laughs> the wind is howling. It's great. Uh, the final log entry said this. Storm ended. Sea calm. God is over all. That's weirdly ominous. Upon his investigation, <laughs> Muir had concluded, quote, from evidence which I was able to procure, I was satisfied that the men had been on duty up till dinner time on Saturday, the 15th of December, that they had gone down to secure a box in which mooring ropes, landing ropes, etc. were kept and which was secured in a crevice in the rock about 110 feet above sea level, and that an extra large sea had rushed up the face of the rock, had gone above them, and coming down with immense force, had swept them completely away. Whether this explanation brought any comfort to the families of the lost keepers is unknown. I feel like the answer's no. Duckett had left a wife and four children, MacArthur a wife and two children. So now for some theories. The, the part we're all here for. The fun yes. part. Yes. Some people really question the official story. As we mentioned, why would MacArthur venture out into the fierce December weather in only his shirt sleeves? Especially if he's going down with the other two and like to go get something. Well, also especially because it is expressly against the rules to leave the light unattended. Yeah, why all three? Even if he was in a rush to help his ailing crewmates, because that's the theory. It's like the two of them went out to grab this box or, you know, whatever. And then he heard them, like, yelling for help. Even if this was the case, he had time to shut the doors tightly but not put on his coat and his boots. Yeah. Also, no bodies were ever recovered. And it feels like even in a rocky sea, what would end up happening is they get stuck somewhere on the rocks. And we said at the beginning, it was very common before the lighthouse was there for ships to yeah, get wrecked in the flannins and all kinds of stuff ended up on shore. Which leads people to theorize that perhaps this is not what happened. And I'm going to kind of rattle through. Some of them have evidence. Some of them were really just kind of mentioned. I have, I have a spooky-ooky theory, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, option one. They were kidnapped off the island by either pirates or foreign powers. Uh, oh. 
Some believe that the men actually arranged to be picked up by a ship and therefore sailed away to begin new lives. Sorry, wife and children. And also one of them was the occasional who wasn't really supposed to be there because the other guy was off sick. So it feels like if he got there and they were like, so this was our plan. Now that you're here, our plan's a little like, I don't know. Are you in? Are you in? And he's like, yeah. And then starts to cry about it because he doesn't want to leave his wife and kids. Maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Emma's cracking face. But then I would, well, maybe they didn't trust him to lie. I'm like, I would just be like, I'll stay and you, I'll say you guys, like, got swept away by a giant if, wave. Even if they, like, it, even if he told everybody, like, yeah, they ran away with a boat that they had, like, what are they going to, it's 1900, what are they going to do? That's true. You can kind of sail across the ocean and, I mean, maybe people will track you down, but probably not. Take forever. It's true. One theory even states that there is a possibility that one of the lighthouse keepers suffered from a psychiatric disorder in which one of them killed the other two and then ended his own life. Just like Agatha Christie's story, and then there were none. And MacArthur was known to be a brawler with a very quick temper. So perhaps the stress of the terrible storm and extremely close quarters just set him off and pushed him to violence. Okay, however, no bodies. Mm-hmm. And no, like, evidence crime of scene. Crime. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but this is what we're all really here for. Supernatural dark forces. Yes, yes, yes. I think I know what the theory's going to be, and I'm excited. So subsequent lighthouse keepers at Island Moor reported strange voices in the wind calling out the names of the three dead men. Haunted. Some superstitious believers believe that a giant sea serpent or huge seabird are to blame for snatching away the men with no, not a trace. I like the idea that there is a gigantic seagull somewhere in someone's mythology. (laughs) Just like a giant potato chip waves in the distance. (laughs) Seagull. Yeah. One of the articles, it was just, like, two words, but, like, aliens? (laughs) Question mark? Not a trace. We don't know. Uh, And then from our good friend Wikipedia, um, some believe that they met their fate through the malevolent presence of a boat filled with ghosts. Parentheses. (laughs) The baleful influence of the, quote, Phantom of the Seven Hunters was widely suspected locally. And when I tried to follow the hyperlink, it locally was just linked to, like, the the Hebrides. I was like, what? What phantom of the Seven Hunters? Why is it called the Seven Hunters? We couldn't get into it. But Ghost Ship. That, yeah. Davy Jones. Davy oh. Jones came and <laughs> took, the, took the men. He was like, yeah, get on. Get on. Happen. Come on. And then in his book, which... I'm a little bit curious as to why he was talking about this Scottish mystery in this book, but okay. In his book, Mysterious Celtic Mythology in American Folklore, author Bob Curran writes, quote, For many local people, there was little doubt that they had been spirited away into the other world. Any thoughts, feelings, opinions before I continue? Yeah. Um, Remember those three crows? Uh Uh-huh. 
Oh, you think they turned into the crows? Think something turned them into the crows? Yes. For what though? Why? Who? How? Um, I mean, they already had acknowledged that there was a spooky spirit or spirits on the island. There mm-hmm. was a darkness already on the island. You don't stay there overnight. This was within the first year. So maybe it was like, you know what? Fine. You can you can spend your time here. Just don't bother me. And then something happened that ticked it off. And maybe the brawler who didn't put on his jacket went out into the, like, whatever. I don't like into the uh, outside the elements the elements into the outside into the says outside. the english major <laughs> no one at my work listen to this please <laughs> no but like goes out into the elements to like fight whatever he sees out there maybe it's like you know mm. a, a manifesting itself and is you know taunting him it's or something and so he's like put him up put him up and then it just zaps him into a crow, and then the other two come to like help him out, and he they zap he zaps them into crows as well, and then like shuts the door and walks away. Interesting. Let us know your thoughts, listeners. You ready for? Am the I next? right? <laughs> what if I actually had answers this whole time? I was just holding out for poetic for suspense reasons. All right, are you ready for the next section? Yes. You want to know what the section's titled? What? But actually. Oh, no! <laughs> so, <clears throat> we're just going to go back and fact check that whole thing I just told oh, you. Oh, no. Is it not real? So, the typical schedule for the Lighthouse Keepers was six weeks on, two weeks off. So, this idea that the three of them, like, came to the island at the same time. That, that was true. my, yeah. It was like say, tag was it in. Question. Tag it in kind of situation. The next thing. Next question. Why would anyone head out on such a dangerous expedition when they could have stayed safe in the lighthouse? So if the weather was really that bad, why were they out here trying to get this box? Right? That makes no sense to me. Well, let me explain it to you. Okay. Marshall had previously been fined five shillings for losing his equipment in a previous storm. As a family man, losing five shillings in 1900 was no laughing matter. So it's no surprise if securing equipment was more important to Marshall than his personal safety. Aww. And then, you know, maybe the the Ducket, the primary keeper, was like, well, I'm not going to let you go alone. Especially if he's the one in charge. Mm-hmm. So that kind of explains the why the heck were they outside anyway. And then uh, <laughs> that eerie last supper that was never eaten wasn't there. Hate to break it to you, but that was just a fictional amendment that was made in a 1912 poem from Wilfred Wilson Gibson. Dude, would you like a poem? Yes, please. Will you read it in a Scottish accent? Is it Scottish? Who is he? Uh, I'm not quite sure. I think it'll rhyme if I don't do an accent, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> That's fair. Go ahead. Yet, as we crowded through the door, we only saw a table spread for dinner, meat and cheese and bread. But all untouched and no one there, as though when they sat down to eat, ere they could even taste, alarm had come, and they in haste had risen and left the bread and meat, for at the table head a chair they tumbled on the floor. Well done. Thanks. Wait, I have to do... Thank you. You can hear that. There snaps. Thanks. 
If I had practiced this before, the cadence would have been better. But you know what? You didn't come here for poetry from the 1900s. No, you came here for the mystery. Okay. So, that was just an added element of... I mean... It, they didn't eat their meal. It's a perfect spooky situation. So mm-hmm. I understand the the poeticness of it, mm-hmm. of how, like, you know, ideal it would be. But it also makes sense to me that it didn't happen. Well, and we know it didn't happen because the superintendent of the lighthouses, or whatever his title was, Muirhead, he published an official report on January 8th, 1901, so, like, right after this happened. Yeah. With the following excerpt. The pots and pans had been cleaned and the kitchen tidied up, which showed that the man who had been acting as cook had completed his work, which goes to prove that the men disappeared on the afternoon, which was received after news of the disaster had been published, that Captain Holman had passed the Flannan Islands in the steamer Arctor at midnight on the 15th, all two, and could not observe the light. He felt satisfied that he should have seen it. Golly, they spoke a different language then. Basically, it was clean. It was cleaned up. They had not... I think he's trying to say, like, they ate lunch and it was clean, which means they disappeared sometime between lunchtime and midnight when this other ship rolled by. That makes sense to me. Yeah. All right. Then we have the log books. Are they not real? She's smiling at me, you guys. So there were no reported storms in the area on December 12th, 13th, or 14th. And in the logbooks, remember, they were talking about really bad weather that whole time. Yeah. People were crying. They were praying. People were crying. Furthermore, the logs were a professional record of data, not a diary. Yeah. So it's very unlikely that Marshall would have written disparaging comments about his superior. Yeah. If not his co his uh, his like lower coworker as well. It seems to have been Vincent Gaddis, a well-known writer of the 1960s, who first mentioned the existence of this logbook. So, hate to break it to you, but it's made it. That's so that's so mean. Like I get the impulse. Yeah, I understand the impulse to make it like a legend to make it a story because we don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that, but I think with every, with everything that we've done up until this point, every story we've told up until this point, the best stories end up being the ones that are true. Like the the last episode that you did was like all, all of the evidence that you gave is like true, and it's mm-hmm. it, and there's no like. "Quote unquote stories being made up about that, or like the Tom and Shude, like yeah. the the lettering and stuff. And so, and I think it's, I think honestly, it's because there's so much evidence for all of those kinds of stories, like an overwhelming amount of it, and yet the answers still aren't there. And so, I think that it automatically creates a good story in and of itself. And then in these moments where there's not a lot of evidence, or there's not a lot to go off of, and then it just like speculation just goes crazy that speculation then becomes part of the legend well i think and it's like it's good it's a like good story but it makes me so frustrated when we get to these points when i'm like but i want it to be real oh, it is a bit. but sorry the hope diamond just a marketing i know point. but i think 
with things like this, at least, with tragedies that we don't have, like, definite evidence, it feels more interesting or, like, more acceptable if there is, if there is like, a legend, if there's some lore, these, you yeah. know, not salacious details, but these, like, added details versus just being, like, three guys got swept away by the ocean. What a bummer. Yeah. It's like, no, no it had to be, there was a spirit, there was a giant seagull that came and ate them. <laughs> like, like, um, I think it, what's interesting too is, so guys were actually like really smart. Um, and we went to college and everything. And during my senior year of college, I did my final like thesis on the it, like Victorian era and their, Basically, their obsession with death, with any kind of, like, salacious details, with... Like, here I am trying to explain my thesis, and I can't even remember what I wrote about. <laughs> like, this... The, the morbid curiosity of it all. Hmm. Victorians had an extreme morbid curiosity. Yeah, they're taking photos with their dead kids. Yeah. And, I mean, death was all around them at that point, so I get it. Like, you kind of can't avoid it, so you might as well embrace it. But... With that came the, like, stories, the superstitions, but also the, they just made things up Mm -hmm. all the time. And within that paper that I wrote, I was talking about this one very specific article in a newspaper from, like, 1898 or something like that. And it wasn't even an article. It's like a tiny little blurb because the way that their newspapers were back then, it was like everything smushed into one page. Um, It was a teeny tiny little blurb, and it said something to the effect of, German man shoots self in mouth with shotgun by foot. And so what they were saying was that he had basically, with his big toe, shot himself in the mouth with a shotgun. And this was, it had a quote-unquote citation that said it was from the, you know, Wisconsin Herald or something like that. I forget where it was. I could read it to you, but it'd be boring as all get out. You could link your paper in the show notes. I wouldn't mind it. You guys could read it. It's probably really bad. But with that, the fact that they were just passing all of this information on, there's no citation to it, and it kept getting rolled over, rolled over, rolled over. And I couldn't find, there was no primary source for this. There was no primary space for me to find where this like, who was happened. What was going on? There was on? no name. There was no age. There was n- nothing. There was no information. So basically, they're just telling a story that's been telephoned over and over and over to the point where, like, because it was, there were iterations of it in multiple mm. magazine or multiple newspapers. And so that, to me, distilling this down, this very long piece of me going, hey, I wrote something. The fact that Victorians and people who were with still within that during the turn of the century were making things up because they liked the scandal of it does not surprise me and makes a whole lot of sense for the culture that they were in at that point. Mm -hmm. So they're just making stuff up all the time for entertainment purposes. I feel like, one, they're Catholic. Two, see... Like, seafaring communities, I feel like, tend to be pretty superstitious because the sea is, like, you you can try, but, like, you can't control it or predict it totally. No. And that's where these big old tragedies happen. And 
We just try to make sense of it kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, the logbook's probably fake. I got a little quote for you that breaks it down. Uh, Both the archives of the Northern Lighthouse Board and contemporary newspapers made it clear that the log was kept only up to December 13th, with subsequent entries being noted in chalk on a slate for later transfer to the book. The whole notion of a log extending as late as the 15th of December is a fallacy. Even if we are charitable and count the entries on the slate as part of the log, it is explicitly stated that the last notes, a record of the weather, were written at 9 on the mor- in the morning on December 15th. So, the logs are, are just made up, too. Yeah. You ready for some pop culture? Yeah! Here comes some big old card stuff, if you haven't gotten it already. So, most prominently, a movie was released in 2018 called The Vanishing, which is based on this mystery. Oh. This psychological thriller stars Gerard Butler as James Duckett. I was wondering where he went. Peter Mullen as Thomas Marshall. And Connor Swindells as Donald MacArthur. I watched the trailer last night. And I freaked myself out. (gasps) Because it is a... It's a psychological thriller. Yeah. It's spooky island vibes. Like, I'm going to make you watch it after we're done. Okay. Um, But I literally, I was, I was eating popcorn, something. I was like eating a snack and I was like, great, I'll finish this little snack while I watch this trailer. And there was a point where I was like eating and then I literally was like, like, (laughs) I was concerned. So I don't think I'll ever actually watch the movie, but <laughs> you can... I believe it's streaming on the terrible A to Z site. Yeah. So do with that as you will. Or you can like rent it through YouTube or whatever. Fictional use of this premise was featured in the Doctor Who serial Horror of Fang Rock. So I think it's like old school Doctor Who. Oh, Like from yeah. the 60s. Uh, the mystery was also inspiration for the composer... Peter Maxwell Davies' 1979 modern chamber opera, The Lighthouse. Modern chamber opera? Look, you can Wikipedia it. This is, I don't know. Uh, The British rock group Genesis wrote wrote and recorded a song called The Mystery of Flannan Isle Lighthouse. I did not know that. In in 19... In 16? No. In 1968, while working on their first album, but it was not released until 1998 in one of their, like, decades albums, like, collections. Uh, The 2019 film The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers, also loosely references this tragedy. Both The Flannan Isles and The Lighthouse are featured in the 2021 Mark Dawson book Never Let Me Down Again, which is the 19th book in the John Milton series. There's another novel called The Lamplighters uh, that acknowledges being inspired. And yet another book. All of these are from 2021. Whoa. Called The Kingdoms that also references the disappearance. Um, It initiates the events of the novel. This is a slight detour, but I think it's interesting when things like this of like, how weird that three people wrote about the same thing in works of fiction. I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert 
she wrote a book called Big Magic. That's yeah. It's like geared towards writers, but I think it's applicable for creativity in general. But it's talking about how ideas kind. Of, it's a little like woo woo, but how ideas kind of can find their way into different people's brains at a similar time with like no real explanation, like. She tells a story of how she had had this idea of, like, this very particular, like, type of character in a certain set of circumstances. And then she talked to a friend that she hadn't seen in, like, a decade who was also an author. And they also were doing, like, that. And it was, like, it's just interesting. Interesting energy. Hmm. And then, finally, um, because our pod friends, which then I wrote in all caps, pod fiends... Is that what we call Pod our... Pod fiends! Is that what we call our fans? Uh, well, you you guys have to agree. You have to consent to be called Let us know. Because so, I like it. Because we have a Crypt King. Yes. And we have our Pod fiends. Well, I was thinking Pod fiends more generally, but if we want to make it more specific... It, I'm talking about Haley and Ruth. <gasps> so our yes. Pod fiends. But because our Pod friends slash fiends... We'll surely mention this in the group chat if they have not already. Yes, there is a BuzzFeed Unsolved episode yes. about this mystery. Yes, there is. I started watching it and then I got distracted or like I, I had to keep going with the research. Yeah, um, it, is a, it is a good one. But I, I have to say my favorite Unsolved, BuzzFeed Unsolved ones are when they like actually go and investigate places when they sit and tell Ryan stories. freaked out. Yeah, when they sit and tell stories, it's just like... I like their little asides because it'll be like Ryan's voice being like, and then da 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 da, and then it'll be like Shane, mur, 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 mur. and I'm like, oh, that feels familiar. <laughs> Tag yourself. Who's who? Hi, I'm I'm Shane. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely Ryan when it comes to this spooky stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, that's mostly what I have. I do I do want to share with you. I think the actual real thing that happened. Okay. And I was enlightened through the most high level elite type of source. Oh no. Uh, the YouTube comments. There we go. <laughs> Here we go. Quote. It was clearly Mothman who killed them. He was attracted to the light. Oh my gosh. That would explain the bird. The giant bird. Would it though? I mean, no, not really. But it would like, if someone saw a giant bird. Oh, I thought you would meant assume... the crow. So I was like, Mothman, no, what? Okay, can't, sorry. No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yeah, solved it. Done. Done. Buzzfeed no longer unsolved. Well done. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. <laughs> Okay, bye. <laughs> Closes door. <laughs> Slowly. You hear me locking it behind you. <laughs> that was really good. I really like I really like this mystery because I've I've uh, read about it before. I've seen also the BuzzFeed Unsolved about it. Mm-hmm. But like I kind of knew that things were fake, but I was also like really hoping that you'd be like, actually. <laughs> No, it's but actually. <laughs> but actually. Um, I will say, so I started, the, well, last night, you guys, surprise, cross it off on your bingo card, this isn't actually a card, 
a, a square, but it should be on the next version. So when I was starting my research the night before we recorded, as I do, I was, I, there were two that I was like really considering. First of all, I just Googled like weirdest unsolved histor- historical mysteries and I got like eight that I want to do at some point. So I like added them. Um, but then there were two that I was like, had a bunch of articles for both of them. So mm-hmm. I was going back and forth and I like started doing this one. But because of that, this morning I got to work and I can't always listen to music that I know the words to yeah. because I get distracted. Yeah. But there was one song that I know from TikTok that I was like, I want to listen to the song because of the vibes of what I've been listening or like researching. It's called Far Side of the World. By Tidelines, the band Tidelines, and it's so good, but they say Hebrides in it. So it was just in my head for ages, but I love that song. Everyone should go listen to it. Okay. It's it's a jam. A jam? Pump up the jam. Yes. I just love, I don't know, go listen to it, and if you have a song that you feel like is a similar vibe, please send it my way, because I literally played this song on a loop on my drive home, like, three times in a row. And then I was like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) I love that. It's so good. I love when you are able to have something that is, like, it's not necessarily, like, brand new, but it's, like, it gives you a good feeling. Oh, yeah. You're like, I'm just going to keep listening to this over and over. It immediately went on the serotonin playlist. Oh, absolutely. Which... (laughs) My, my like, Spotify wrapped at the end of the year is just going to be this playlist. <laughs> it's not going to be the, the sleep playlist that you used to play? <laughs> no, because I don't, yeah, I don't, um, there was this one particular album, it's like a Native American composer, that I would, like, listen to this one album to fall asleep, so then half of my Spotify wrapped was just Medwin Goodall, and I was like, not cool. So now I listen to a Rain podcast. Like, it's a podcast on Spotify, but it's a podcast, not a track, so it shouldn't... It'll be in my top podcasts of the year. (laughs) I do like... Guys, if you didn't realize now, um, now you know, uh, Shannon is very much a one on the Enneagram. We'll just say she's a type A personality. As you can probably tell, I am not, but it just makes me... It makes me laugh that you care so much about making sure that your Spotify wrapped is correct. <laughs> oh, like, I was so mad last year because half of it was just my playlist that I played at the bookstore. Yeah. Which are like songs that I like and obviously I didn't skip them as frequently as yeah. other songs. But I was like, I feel like this isn't a real representation of me and like who I am. Because I'm constantly trying to just broadcast like this is the type of person I am. Be my friend. Whether it's like... Bumper stickers, stickers that I don't actually. Put I was gonna on my say laptop. you don't you don't use the stickers. She has pins. a drawer full of stickers. Not you guys, full. it just has stickers. You in have it. an entire book of stickers. Oh, I forgot. But I didn't buy that on purpose. It came in like a mystery grab bag. That's true. I would not have purchased that for myself. You would not have. Yeah, but like bumper stickers, pins on my uh, jean jacket, jean jacket, my Spotify wrapped. Like, I, I'm still, like, yes, hi, I'm 20, I'm 27 years old. I'm already a burden to my parents, and I'm frightened. Um, <laughs> but on the outside, but on the inside, I'm really still just a college first year that's, like, if I wear a nerd fighter or, like, a band t-shirt, someone will see it and be like, oh my gosh, I like that thing too, let's be friends. 
So I completely understand that, though. I think everybody's doing that to some extent. Like, I don't think that there's ever been an instance where someone walks into a, like, party where they don't know people or a situation where they don't know people and fully expected people to be like, hi, I want to be your friend without some kind of, like, invitation or icebreaker. Have you met your husband? Oh, well, he's different. Milton's different. Milton. He's, but I will say this, he's also very much an introvert in a way that you wouldn't guess when you saw him in a social situation. Because what he's trying to do is effectively, like, he wants to make friends. Absolutely he does. But he also wants to make everybody else comfortable. And that's such an introvert thing, too, where it's like, I need to make sure that you're okay so that then I can go be okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Like, whenever, in the before times, when we could have parties. Parties. I would always just be like, okay, well... Like, are my work friends going to get along with my, my real life friends and this other group? Like, I'm always, literally since I was a kid, like, I remember being stressed and being like, Mom, I want to invite my friends, but like, what if my gymnastics friends don't get along with like my school friends and like, da 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 da. Anyway, thanks for coming to Therapy Podcast. I mean, this podcast doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> I mean, how is this never not therapy for us? I don't know. <laughs> Therapy doesn't usually have this much homework. It doesn't come with like a sources cited list. But you did really well. Thanks. You're I pulled welcome. it out of the mist. Thank you. And remember, friends, next week. Big announcement. And it is our 50th episode. Bam, 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 bam. Can you believe that we've Can been you doing this? Believe. For this long? Wild. It's insane. DM us or like write in what's been your favorite episode. Please. Even better, share the Instagram post to your story and then tag us so we can see it. But then all your friends can see what your favorite episode is. And then they can be friends with us too. Please and thank you. That's a really good idea. I will do that. I have to pick. I know, me too. Maybe I put like three up on my story. (laughs) We don't choose. We don't choose. They're all our favorites. They're all our favorites. Not true. Oh, that's a, like, I can't pick a favorite, but I can definitely tell you what my least favorite episode is. What's your least favorite? Take a guess. Vine ring? Yeah. How did I know that? <laughs> because I've already complained about it. Like, if we ever... Re- I was wondering why I was in the front of my brain. If we ever ring. re-record an episode, I'll be like, that one. Okay. <laughs> Just re-record me doing Just Latin. Latin. Just the inserts. <laughs> like ADR yeah. and um, TV and movies. Look, y'all, I know I keep doing it to myself where I pick things. You really do. Well, like, because all like, the cool stuff, all the cool stuff is not from here. Exactly. Exactly. I get it. So, yeah, let us know what your favorite episodes have been. Are there things that we haven't gotten to that you're like, guys, really? Really? You haven't gotten to this topic yet? DM us. Email us. Let us know. Just talk to us, friends. We want to know who you is. I want to know. Can you show me? All right. And until next time, remember. This podcast doesn't exist. Did you like my harmony? Yeah, you always do that. Oh. (laughs) You didn't say if you liked it or not. Sure. I wasn't singing in key, so it didn't really matter. Oh, okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs)